I'm Chris Reback. This is Working Capital Conversations. As with any startup opportunity, when the serial and successful tech entrepreneur Alexander Mars decided in 2013 to tackle philanthropy, he had to identify the market gap. Turns out he already knew it. The disconnect, as he describes, between how much we want to give and how much we actually give. The challenge, of course, how to bridge the gap. Mars' answer? Just like a business. He gathered specialists in international development, social impact, open innovation, design thinking, and technology to develop an industry-leading due diligence process to build and manage a portfolio of high-impact social organizations. Beyond the intense due diligence, though, Epic also leverages startup and business thinking in its fundraising and donor relations, from integrating into corporations' payroll systems to enable voluntary and automated employee giving, to using virtual reality technology to bring the on-site philanthropy experiences to life. The result is Epic, a global nonprofit investing in nearly 30 organizations in more than 10 countries, including, for example, a group that provides legal and social support advocacy to abused and neglected children in New York, another that intervenes in Mumbai's red light areas to end intergenerational trafficking, another that runs children's hospice in the UK, and many others. More about Epic CEO and founder Alexander Mars, who over the past 20 years has launched and sold multiple companies in the internet, mobile marketing, and social media industries, as well as founding a venture firm focused on helping entrepreneurs build mission-driven global consumer brands and technology companies. In what appears to be his spare time, the French native was named among town and country's top 50 philanthropists and among the 50 most influential French people by Vanity Fair. In 2019, he was named a Knight of the Legion of Honor, France's highest civilian award order. Before my conversation with Alexander, though, I have an ask from me to you. I hope you like these Working Capital Conversations, and if so, I'd appreciate if you'd take a moment, go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, and if you're so moved, leave a five-star review. The ratings really matter. They go a long way to helping other people find the podcast. Thank you for considering my request. So what happens when you mix entrepreneurship and philanthropy? Here's my conversation with Alexander Mars. Alexander, thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. So Epic is described as a global nonprofit startup that fights to change the lives of disadvantaged youth. So you, you had to start small, huh? You, you <laughs> couldn't find a big, bodacious, you couldn't set the bar high. You, you had to really start small? I think that's, um, being an entrepreneur, just, uh, it's, at least for me, it's, you take something and you say, how can I have this impact? When I was an entrepreneur, tech entrepreneur before was the same. I started something small, but my goal was very clear. How can I become big? Um, and in that case, it's even just... Um, better because if we can become big, if we can become successful, we'll change lives. And it's not a new app, it's not a new website, it's changing real life. So we have to be successful and we have to be big. Do people find it inspiring, the people you need to bring along, or is it intimidating? They say, Alex, sorry, you're a little naive. I think it's a mix. Um, Being naive is fine. Um, I do think, but there's no other way. What is the way out, Chris? What else we can do? Uh, do we have to sit and wait for someone else to do the work or are we doing the work? 
And when I see outside the window what's happening, we have to do the work and we have to push hard. The truth is, we start with the market research. When I start Epic, why not just saying, oh, let's change the world and let's be happy and friends? Was something different, Chris. I want to see people like you, like the people who are listening today, saying, what's happening? What are you doing? And I always ask two questions. It was a market research, a real one. I want to see people. I said, two questions. One, have you given time or money to any social organizations last year? Answer, yes, all the time, 100%. Then I start asking a different question. Chris, do you think you have given enough? And you know what? 95% of the people were answering no. And for me, it was as an entrepreneur, the start of everything. When you're an entrepreneur, and you know this, you're always looking for two points. Point A, where people are. Point B, where people want to be. If the gap between those two points is pretty wide, then maybe you can build something. Again, the gap. The two points, we are there. We are doing, but everyone, everyone, Chris, knows that we are not doing enough. So let's bring solutions. Let's do the work. Let's try to understand why, and let's fix this. Purpose is the new currency. What does that mean? It's very true. What does it mean? I think 20 years ago, when we were in college or high school, the world was maybe different. And the currency was the money. Dollars. Currency. You, you currency, currency was currency. What's, what's happening? What happened in the last two years? Not more. People want something different. It's, not, it's no longer just number of zeros in your bank account. That was the me generation. That was the generation from before. I want to have this office by myself. I want to have this big car. But now it's different. We are looking for purpose. And if I want to hire you, if I want to retain you, if I want to sell product to you, Chris, I need to give something different. I need to provide purpose. It's interesting. When we say purpose is a new currency, and that's the, the, the tale of my book, it came with the millennials, and you, we know them. Yeah. They have different aspirations. They want, they want something different. But that's at the core of what they are. They are the we generation. They want to share. They want to structure something different. And they are pushing us. Yeah. I, so I want to ask you about Epic and the mission and how you put that, how you take that vision, the vision of helping, that, that audacious, crazy vision that you had that, that should have intimidated everyone but instead inspired them. And how do you operationalize that and everything you've done? But to follow up on this one point that you just made, I was really struck. You tell the story in, in your book, and I'm wondering if for you, was this the aha moment realization about that generation, about the generational change, about the change from the me generation to the we generation, as you put it, was when you interviewed, um, the, the, there was the young man that you interviewed for a role at your tech holding company. And uh, was he Dominican born, I believe, and, and he had um, served in the U.S. Army. But, but that interview um, really made you see things. I don't know if it made you see things differently or if it brought home what you already were seeing, but that was a, quite a telling interview, wasn't it? 
Yeah, it was. It was for the, um, it was 25. Mm. And the, the conversation was pretty amazing. Mm -hmm. 20 years ago, even 10 years ago, even five years ago, the same conversation with someone was looking for a job in the tech or in the, the P industry, the finance industry was about money, about just power, about just the car, something different. And now the point for him is, yes, I will get there. Maybe I will make more money, but I will use this money for good reasons. And the thing is, but just you mentioned the we and the me generation. Yeah. The me generation, a goal or making money was the end. <laughs> for the me generation is more mean to an end. It's a totally different conversation. And then it's a totally different ball game. Which is what his answer was to you. So your question to him was, why do you want to work here? And instead of getting the usual, usual yeah, you got, because I want, I want to be able to, I forget his exact, his, his exact phrasing was really elegant. Um, but it, but it was something like, I want to, I want to be successful. Maybe that might not have been his word so that I can help others. But that, and, and even if I'm just spending most of my time on Epic, I see I have an investment fund. Right. And the, a day and, job. No, it's or a night job yeah, because yeah. maybe you know it's a, a night job. But yes. it's the thing is, um, and we are um, investors, shareholders of the Pinterest and Spotify and Bird and and many credit startups. But very similarly, we don't do this just to make more money or to buy new, new a new car, two more boats. It's what kind of power this can bring us? And I realized very early on in my life that power will come with money. The thing is, who are you? What's your mission, Chris? Why are you doing what you're doing? Why are you interviewing me? Why are you building what you're building if you don't have this mission? So for years, even decades, my generation, we were blind. Hmm. We're half blind. Hmm. We're just, okay, we do this because we have to do it, but why? And the good thing is we have changed. Not only the millennials, we're talking about them, but everyone, everyone, everyone is asking why. It's a good it's a good question. Now, how can you answer this? That the start of Epic, when I started Epic a few years back, was we know that we need to change the lives of those underserved, the underprivileged you mentioned at the very start, the unlucky from day one, that's how I, I call them. If we don't help them, their life will be you know, hard if it's not miserable. To change this, we need to change the mindset. So A, we need to give the trust back. That's the first conversations I had when I started Epic during the market research. People telling me, Alex, I will love doing more, but I don't trust social organizations. I don't trust NGOs. I don't know what they will be doing with my money. B, I have no time. C, I, have, I don't have the knowledge. So you know what? I will do stuff I will understand more. So I will give to my school, mm. to my kid's school. Mm. I will give to my church, synagogue, just temple. 
I will give to my hospital when I will get older. Because it's, when you give it, there's always a counter giving. Mm-hmm. It's normal. It, uh, humans are humans, sometimes selfish, and it's normal. And then we said, okay, but if you want to go broader than this, what will be missing? And people always answered, trust. Mm. How can I trust that the money I will give, I will donate, will have the impact? And that's the start of Epic. We need to fix this. And with the tools of 2019, 2020, 2021, that's pretty easy. So that's the start of Epic. So that, that's a, and we can have a full conversation, I think, on trust and the evolution and perhaps even in a way de-evolution, devolution of, of trust. And some of the very tools that you're talking about that can help connect us, can help engage trust, can help help us. And you would, you know, the way that you um, at Epic um, use digital tools like VR to help donors realize the impact that they're making. Um, at the same time, you face a, perhaps, and I'm wondering how you think about this, a bit of a challenge because those very same tools are sowing distrust in mm. societies. And there's a, there's a tension there. Um, I guess uh, your, your job is to um, wrestle them as a force for good um, you know, and, and, and work against the, uh, the negative side. So is that a question or, or just a... Or an just, observation? Yeah. It's whatever you would like it to be. <laughs> it's definitely an observation. I mean, I think that that tension it's, exists. It's, oh, yes. But still, when you are asking people why you don't trust social organizations mm-hmm. and answers across the world are always the same. Because you remember this scandal two years ago, or even 20 years ago, yeah. I, I had meetings with people. They were saying, oh, you remember 20 years ago, remember they did something wrong. I said, yes, I understand this, but we needed to understand if it was more excuses or reasons mm-hmm. not to give. And then at the time I said, maybe we should find a notation agency like, and I was looking at this at the very start of Epics. And if you want to trust, what do you trust in your business life and notation agencies and maybe some P firms like Sequoia. So I would take Sequoia like a good example. Mm-hmm. If you want to invest money in the tech world, you will just pick Sequoia and you're pretty sure that you will see your money back. The, the money will be well used and well invested. Then I was looking at this Sequoia for philanthropists and it should exist. And as you know, it doesn't exist. So that's why I said to myself, let's build one. Should it, if it, it should exist, it doesn't exist, I will build it. That's barely epic. Epic. We build this with this vision of trust and of selection. Mm-hmm. So the way it works, every year we start at the very start of the year looking at amazing NGOs across the world, mm. tackling youth issues, education, protection, economic empowerment, or health. And we'll do this in five regions around the world, the U.S. for sure, but we, we, we're in other, other regions. I'll give you an example. Last year, we have analyzed four, more than 4,000 wow. applications from social organizations and NGOs. After eight months of work, 45 data points, impact, governance, leadership, everything you will, you will look at if you were just 
close to invest somewhere, but mm-hmm. we do the same. Why should it be different in the nonprofit world than in the for-profit world? And after eight months of work, we have selected five. Mm. I don't, so it's very hard to become part of the Epic portfolio. But doing this, and after I can come to see you as a donor and say, oh, we have done the work, the organizations we're selecting are top-notch in terms of important things, impact, in terms of governance, in terms of leadership. What, what are impact solutions versus giving solutions? So the impact solutions, in a way, it's when you give money somewhere, you are sure that your money will have such a big impact. So it's really just finding the right organizations and funneling the money to the organizations. The giving solutions are, let's say, more for businesses, for corporate America, mm-hmm. for those big organizations saying, we're a bit lost. Um, because people are asking something different. When I have those conversations with those um, C-suites from those big organizations, yeah, yeah. they are telling me, we have three issues, Alex. The first one, recruiting. It's harder and harder to go after any schools and say, come join us, because... They want something different. Yeah. It's hard to retain them. Even if you are able to get them, retaining them is super hard. That's on one end. Second uh, part, selling products. Mm. You still want to have customers, but customers now, they want something different. Again, 10 or 15 years, 15 years ago, we were different. It's hard because people can go deep in who you are. And the third issue they are facing is at home mm. with your kids, mm. with their kids. Because whoever is listening to us who has a kid between 15 and 25, 15 and 30, what are you telling them you know, yeah. during the dinner? When the question is, mom, dad, tell me, Chris, how was your day today? Do you think we still have answer, oh, I did this, yeah. or I, my business grew. We There's made 100 six, widgets. We increased profit margin by, you know, 0.01%. Yeah. Yeah. And it was barely just what we were you know, saying for years and years, yeah. and the former generation was doing the same. This generation, they want something different. I remember this conversation it was in London with CEO of a huge corporation coming to see us after an event where I was um, talking, and he came to see me and said, I came because of my daughter. I said, mm. what do you mean by this? My daughter, she, I need to find an internship for her every year. So two years ago, she went to this, last year to this firm, and this year I came to see her and said, okay, darling, where do you want to go? And the daughter answers two things. One, dad, I will find my internship myself. Good. But the second answer was even more interesting. It will be for a nonprofit. Mm. So what happened in that minute? The dad and you know, and that's all but Darwin. Remember Darwin? Yeah. People can have to they have to adapt themselves if they want to survive. The dad realized hmm. two things. One, if he wants to keep having this deep connection with the daughter, he will have to understand what this new world means. Secondly, the daughter is is next 
customer. Mm-hmm. And he can lose a daughter, it would be bad, but it will also maybe potentially lose ground if he doesn't understand what the customers of tomorrow will want. It, it, listening to you, it feels like you offer organizations, CEOs, leaders, not so much a path to philanthropy, but something of a path to survival. <laughs> Business survival, human survival, personal survival. I like this. Um, I will tell you, I was um, offered to give the opening speech at the B7. You remember just the G7 every year. And the month before, there is a B7. So Mm. business leaders, like government leaders, are just together. And it was last July. And I started with the um, opening speech. And what I told them was... Super direct, but super clear. I said, you have two options. Back to what you just said. Two options. A, you become the next Nokia. Remember Nokia, Chris, like everyone else. In 07, Nokia had 50% market share. Yeah, crazy. Isn't that crazy? It's insane. Yeah. 50%. Yeah. Now, point one. Why? Because it didn't see coming. You know, it was on the technology side, the iPhone and many other things. What I was telling them, said, you can become the Nokia, not because of the new tech disruptor. No, it's the social disruption coming. And the day you are not able to recruit the right people, the day they will stop buying your product, you are off market. And this interesting because that's exactly what you just said. The world has changed mm. so much. And you can take just, if you take just, let's take the banking industry. Yeah. Take aspiration or good money to new, new banks in the US. It's not like new banks, but with purpose. Yeah. So if you have to pick you, if you are 25 or 20 or 28, if you have to pick a new bank, do you think you will find what we are doing together? Oh. I want to find one with a branch close to my home. Who is going to a branch those days? But plus, it's all technology, but with purpose. So you are in trouble. And for sure, it's harder when... You're an old, you know, old business because it's Start hard to change to your model. Everything, every operationally, your whole model is built around the old, the old way. Nokia's model was built around what existed up to that point. So for sure, it's easier for a startup still. You can lose a lot. So yes, the truth is people now start realizing that they need to do something. Mm. And it's not CSR. You know this industry so well. CSR is BS. Mm. So How can you imagine that? You employees or you customers will connect with you just because you're signing a check at the end of the year. There's no connection. So you need to connect social good within, at the core, within your business, your real business. That's what we're doing with many, many different businesses. So we have have labs in Europe, in the U.S. And what we're doing with those labs is, okay, how can we make this the norm? How can we just build this sharing vision as the norm. And for sure, when we're able to do this, you're pushing not only the limits, but you're pushing people 
to think maybe slightly differently. It's it it truly is a path to survival. It's a it's a it's an opportunity to reinvent your business as usual, your standard operating procedure, without being a startup. Kind of on the fly is it? It's you know it's a fresh. It's almost like a fresh opportunity that that it offers um, in the areas where. Uh, businesses really need to make a difference. Two aspects of what you um, and Epic have done that I want to ask you about and then move to a different area, um, kind of operational um, components. One is the sharing pledge. So um, what, what, what is, was the sharing pledge? How did you come to the concept? Um, how has it worked? What reaction do you get? What's the sharing pledge? Uh, great question. Um, two years ago, yeah, I think two years ago, we got entrepreneurs coming, said, we love Epic, and we'll give. Mm. But, but we'll give when we'll go public. We'll give when we'll be acquired. And that's fair and normal and good. But then we said, you know what? Why not pledging the future? It costs nothing, but it's systemic. At Epic... If on one end, we're trying to find, and we work so hard to find almost the most impactful social organizations across the world, when you have fund those organizations, you need to fund them. <laughs> you need to finance them. Right. So that's the other part. And the other part of it, we need to change systems. I love if tomorrow, Chris, you say, I love what you do at Epic. I will sign a check. And yes, please sign a check. But this is not systemic. Mm-hmm. To make things systemic, We need to change systems. And then we said, big system we can change is this industry of entrepreneurs, of the tech industry. So don't wait to make money to be part of the movement. So we started looking after entrepreneurs saying, join us, sign something. It could be 1%, 2%, whatever you feel good about. And it's always about this limits when you give for us is very important don't give above you know your pain point mm. so for me every time i have conversations with someone i'm always saying when it's painful is never almost never joyful um so trying to find this when it's still painless so i'm asking entrepreneurs and why not and i can ask you the same question chris you should join us mm. and you should just give away something and maybe your own startup will be sold one day and then a part of it will go to social good. And why doing this? Because we want every single entrepreneur in the U.S., but also across the world, say, when I started my business, when I run my business, I know maybe I will do good at some point. But in the meantime, you have something important to share with your employees, back to the employees, to your customers, to your partners, to your investors, to your family. We are not doing this just for the mission to make money, Chris. We do what we do as entrepreneurs because we have a mission. And this mission, if you don't find the mission, it will be empty. Mm. You won't be happy. Maybe it was working well 10 or 15 or 25 years ago. This world is different because we know everything. 15 or 20 years ago, for both of us, Chris, sometimes we didn't see things. Yeah. How can we say today that we are not seeing the madness around us? It's everywhere, and uh, and you know we we can have another conversation as well about um, inequality gaps, about changing economic models, about um, roles of 
government and and you know where should responsibility come from one one interesting thing that you were just talking about the the way that you seek to engage with these businesses in it, it, it was striking me that it's sounding very 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 much like the way any entrepreneur any startup would want to be meaning yes you welcome one time revenue but what you're really trying to build is recurring revenue and which any you know you talk about when you sell a company and the multiple will depend on you know recurring revenue not on hmm. the one offs and it sounds i mean you're yeah. applying that same principle yeah it's everything has to become systemic hmm. if you can become systemic you have again it will last if it just okay have chris and alex and it will be okay it won't be okay it could be okay for a year or a couple of years something important also to mention when we discussed about the kind of sequoia for philanthropists mm. the big difference for us is we have no and you know this but we have no business model it means that tomorrow when you will sign the check chris to epic or when you will give a slice of your shares 100 percent of this will go to social organizations we have no business model it means that it's a pure model um and that's why uh built my venture firm to keep funding everything. So whatever I'm making on one end, I know that it will just go helping Epic to be just to pay for all the upping costs. So I'm not, because back to the trust issue, yeah. if you say, Alex, I want to give just $50, the question always comes with, but how much of the $50 or will go to the causes, by the way, are you taking 10%, 20%, 30%, 50% of the money to fund the structure? What we're saying is very clear. We take zero. 100% will go there. And it works well also for businesses. When we are working with those big organizations, we don't make money. We don't charge them. We don't invoice them. We're there only to say, if we're able to work with you and to implement and to embed social good at the core of the system, the system will change. And we don't want to be paid for this. We want you to help us changing systems. Alexander, as an entrepreneur, uh, you also surely think innovatively about giving and about the ways that individuals or corporations can give. Give, give me some examples of, of some of the innovative approaches that you're trying but to implement. People need solutions. You cannot only go after people and give more. Is why and how? So we are bringing solutions to a lot of different people. I'll give you a couple of solutions. One, what we call the giving stand. Mm. Let's say I will just bring you or invite you to watch the next basketball game or a baseball game. I will just pick two seats in this giving stand where I know $2 out of the ticket will go to social good. Mm. And for me, it's natural. It's easy. A goal is no stadiums in the U.S., won't propose this in the future. Same with theaters. And it's easy, easy solution. Another one, what we call the edge to pledge. When you just um, uh, get some or change your currencies from dollars to euros, you have five digits after the, after the dot. What we're doing now with some banks, you can trade or you can give away the fourth digit or whatever is after. The, it's a small change. But you have millions of transactions. And this time is not someone will impose you something. You will decide it. Or I'll give you, and again, give you yeah, so many yeah. solutions. Last one, what we did a few months back was Dior, Christian Dior. What they did, 
in the US, they decided to do the epic day. What is the epic day? They decided to give away 10% of their top line, of their revenues to Epic. And you know what? It works so well for their employees, for their customers. So it's not that hard to implement a solution. You've also been able to integrate yourself into payroll systems. Mm-hmm. It's very true. So when you receive your, your paycheck, it's never random, never ever. So businesses are now saying, oh, do you want to rent down? Your paycheck. It could be 20 cents, but collectively you will decide a co- you will decide a cause. And people love this. So after a year, it's 20, 25, 30% of the employees who are deciding to give away a tiny slice of what they have. But they're part of something bigger that they can do themselves. And it's automated, it's and it's, it's and it's it's measured and hundred percent is going to the causes. And that's why we do but we can do the same with so many other industries. So what we do at Epic. We take one industry after the other. Okay, in new industry, restaurants, hospitality, sports, you name them, banking, insurance. How can we embed solutions at your level? And if you're able to implement this, everyone will see this and it will be a big win. Round down for Epic. <laughs> Round down or ran up. So I'll give you an example. <laughs> if you take a car, if you take your car tomorrow, you can rent up your ride. It's almost nothing. But this money will go to real good socializations. So as we start to close down the conversation, there are two areas that I want to make sure that I get to ask you about. Um, the first one is public policy and philanthropy. Um, is this the right way to address global public policy issues? Um, j- just because someone like you or a Bill Gates or a Jeff Bezos um, you know, you, you were really excellent at delivering market solutions. Jeff Bezos is really good at delivering market solutions. Uh, but does that mean, and in, in a capitalist environment, why is that the right way to address the outcomes of global poverty? And are you, are you and the Gateses and the Bay, are you letting governments off the hook? Is it the role of government? Is it the role of people like you, corporations? <laughs> yeah, such, such an important question. I think is everyone's role. That's what I think. Mm. For years and years, for decades, people like us, Chris, we were thinking, you know what? Governments should do everything. We pay taxes. Yeah. So many times I had this conversation with people telling me, Alex, I'm a philanthropist. What do you mean by this? I'm paying my taxes. And that's only big being a good citizen. You have a great line in the book. That's the, that's the price of, that's, that's the price of citizenry, or that's being a citizen, that's not being a philanthropist. And that's everything. So for years and for decades, we have lived in a world where we were just sidelined. Said, you know what, let's do the work. Yes, let's do the work. We're watching you doing the work. And yes, every four years, every three years, every two years, every five years, we'll complain. Oh, they haven't done the work correctly. It's hard. You have been running a business. It's so hard to mm. run a business. Can you imagine running a business with 350 million people or a city or a county? Or It's so hard. So we need to help them. So it's not on one end NGOs, on the other end governments. and other. No, it's everyone together. So when we work, we see the value of 
scaling what we do. And with is a value if we can work with public systems. I don't see my world with saying, oh, we are better. Mm. I don't see my world because I've been successful in the past saying, oh, I will just bring this to this world where everyone is different. No, I'm just saying, I will listen to you and I will, I will say, how can I help you? And I do think money is always government, but you have so much means in the business area. And for so many years, we've said, oh, no, let's share all their value. Let's give this back to shareholders. I don't think is the right way to see the world now. Because back what we said earlier, there's no way out, Chris. There's no way out. That's what I'm sure. So we can sit there, wait for better you know, future. The better future will never come. So do you think I'm a dreamer? Yes, I'm a dreamer. But I do believe this world needs a dreamer like me. And I've devoted, and that's what I do. I knew this since I'm a kid. I knew that I would devote my life for others. And I started just first making money because I realized very quickly that money would help me just, just really deciding what I want to do in my life. But the truth is, my life is only about this. I can use my money. I can use my network. I can use my skills to change you know, lives one after the other and bring more and more people. So yes, you mentioned the giving solutions this is important because if we are able to implement on transactions, on when you go to, when you start your business, when you go to restaurants, when you go to the theater, when you go to the stadium, we have so many different solutions. Let's implement this. Let's share a slice of what we have. And if we're all able to, to, to share a slice, I can tell you that the world will be better because, again, there is no way out. And if we don't work all together, I'm not sure about the future. Alexander, you brought me to the subject that I wanted to close on, uh, which is you. You used a word earlier in this conversation, and it struck me. Um, So the phrase you said was, you're looking to help folks who have been unlucky since birth. At the end of your book, you thank your parents, and you describe yourself in a way that, that struck me as well when I read it. You said you described yourself as having been a lucky boy. That contrast, the people who have been unlucky since birth, but your self-awareness and recognition and belief that you've been a lucky boy. Did you always have that sense? And I get in some ways you kind of answered this, but was a drive towards social justice something that was always part of who you are? Oh, yeah. And I think for all of us, everything, everything comes from childhood. Mm. Your, the way your parents treated you, yeah. your siblings or not, where you were living, how you were living. It's all about this. So, and for me, it was very clear. I think my family and, and my mom, just, I think just, I still are helping everyone. And that's kind of household where I was living. So I said to myself, that's normal. Then I saw, I saw my mom just suffering sometimes. And I said to myself, you know what? I will work harder than anyone else, but I will give everything she deserves. And you need this ultra booster. And my booster was I knew, and I did understand this very early on. Mm. On one end, 
it's normal to me. So many people, so many people are suffering. And when I was 15, I was more the, you know, the white knight, just helping, just because I was taller than anyone else. I mm. was, the, you know, the guy who was always helping. Right. So I became just... You, you had a cape. Yeah, almost. <laughs> but that's being foolish because, you know, sometimes you are not strategic enough. So mm. you go, you fight, you say, it's not normal. But I got this since I'm so young. And after I realized that if I want to protect mom, if I want to protect myself, if I really want to have the, you know, that kind of power, I will need money. Mm. And that's very important. And when you understand this, at least for me early on, your life is different. And for me, never change. It took me more. It, the truth is, it took me longer <laughs> than I was expected. But when you were 17 or 18, I started my first business when I was 17, you were just you know, a bit foolish and say, mm. oh, it's easy. And to become the next gate, oh, that's not hard. Yeah. And as we know, it's super hard to succeed in anything you want to, to build. So that's, that's the story. Just So Alexander, to close, I certainly don't mean to seem ungrateful for what you have done to date, but I'm sure as an entrepreneur, you understand what's next. <laughs> it's um, two answers. The first one is it's sometimes people become being an entrepreneur, a tech entrepreneur for years. When I started Epic as a social entrepreneur, I got this question less and less often, but at the start saying, okay, it's great what you're doing, but what's next? Mm. Meaning that being a social entrepreneur is not real. Being a social entrepreneur is not entrepreneurship. It's freaking wrong. I'm just running Epic the same way I was running other businesses before. It just, it's as hard as everything else, is as exciting as everything else. So that's one. Um, and, but what's next, I think is, is really, how can we keep scaling? Um, and, and, and yes, I think at some point, just pushing more and more people toward that just uh, vision mm. of the world would be better soon is everything we do could just have a glimpse of social good. Um, and whatever I'm just building in my life, um, venture fund, um, when I work for the Olympic Games, whatever I'm doing, just uh, my books, is really a tool, mm. is a tool to get to the end. And the end will never be reached, never will be, never will be reached. Because this goal is impossible to reach. How can I just change the world? But I know that every time I'm able to change lives of those underprivileged, of those underthirved, no, children and youth, I'm just happier. And I I can tell you, Chris, it's not easy. Mm. It's not easy because... um, it's hard to convince people. It's hard to make people understand that sometimes they, some stuff they don't see. So I need you, I need everyone who's listening to see that, you know, it's everyone's role. Back mm. to your question. Everyone. Ev- we, can, every, we can all do something to fight. And the good thing is we are fighters. You are, I am. Everyone is a fighter, even the tiniest fighter. But that's the world where we live in. We need to fight a bit more for just for others Alexander thank you thank you for your time and uh, 
more importantly, of course, thank you for the work that you do. Thank you, Chris. Thank you.